I have the pleasure to continue our series in Ephesians, which I think we'll finish here in the next couple of weeks um, as we are in the home stretch of Pastor Jeff and Robbie's sabbatical. How many of you guys are excited for them to be back? Lord Jesus. (laughs) Uh, This morning, if you're taking notes, uh, I'd like you to please write down the purpose of leadership. The purpose of leadership. Um, Was anybody here last week uh, and heard uh, Brother Keanu bring the word? Man, that boy can bring it. That was an incredible, incredible message on, uh, on, on walking worthy of the calling. Um, you know, we've been, we've been in this series most of the summer now, for those of you who are new with us. If, if you are new, um, I really encourage you to jump on our app and, uh, and listen back through um, what our pastoral staff has been, uh, has been preaching the last few months. I, I, honestly, like... This is not like a toot my own horn moment or anything like that. I really, but this, I feel like our team has really done a great job in this series. God has really been speaking. Um, it, it's, it's really interesting because sometimes when we, we think about exegetical preaching, we forget that it's still the Holy Spirit that inspires exegetical preaching. So even though it's line by line, it's still prophetic for the moment. And, uh, and Paul in the first, uh, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is, is really mostly talking about what we have in Christ. The, the, the blessings, what we have in Jesus, that everything good that we have, everything that we have that's worth boasting about is, is in Christ, right? Now, in the fourth chapter, uh, Paul begins to kind of turn a corner. You know, there's, there's a point in time, there's a point in time where the things that you have in Jesus shouldn't just change your perspective of who he is. It should change your life. At some point in time, All the knowledge that you have about Jesus, if it doesn't change the way that you behave, if it doesn't change the way that you act, if it doesn't change the way that you see people, if it doesn't change the inner part of you, what do you really know? Let me put it to you a different way. If what you know about Jesus doesn't change you, you don't know about Jesus. Does that make sense? So we're turning a corner now. And, and, and we have to, here's what I want to, here's where I want to go with this this morning. There is a significant difference between how and why. There's a significant difference between how and why. How many of you have ever appreciated something that someone has done for you until you found out why they did it for you? Your motivation is every bit as important as your actions. Your motivation is every bit as important as your actions. We're going to go right now to Ephesians 4. We're going to be in uh, verses 7 to 16. There's a lot of stuff that's, that's being covered in this particular um, group of scriptures. We're not going to be able, unfortunately, to get to everything, but I'm going to hit a couple of different things this morning. And this is how, this is how it goes. It says, now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who ascended or descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers, listen, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. Until, somebody say until, until we all reach unity in faith 
and in the knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity with a stature measured not by my fullness, measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper workings of each individual part. We're going to have our prayer teams come forward. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Okay, somebody, we're going to, I'm going to specifically hit five-fold ministry this morning because sometimes when I say five-fold ministry, people look at me and their eyes glass, like glass over a little bit. But before that, I, I want you to, I want you to understand something. Every single person in this room is a leader. Every single person in this room will lead in some capacity of your life. Now, we are all followers of Jesus, but we are all leaders of people. In fact, I think sometimes we think of leadership as an action as opposed to an identity. Leadership is not what you do, it's who you are. You're either a father who's leading a family, you're a mother who's helping lead a family, you're a, you're a co-worker who's leading other co-workers, maybe you're a boss, maybe you own a small business. Do you see where I'm going with this? Somewhere in your life, you are leading people. Somewhere in your life, you're leading people. My question is, why are you leading them? Not just how. See, some of us, the moment that I said you're a leader and you looked back at your life, you were like, ooh, I was not very good or am not very good. I need somebody to get some hope in the room that just because you weren't good doesn't mean you can't be good. Listen, at one time I was a sinner and now I'm a saint. Thank God for that. What I am right now is not what I have to be tomorrow. The grace of Jesus extends into every area of your life. You might be bad right now. I mean, come on. Somebody in the room feels like you have been a bad father. First of all, I want to expose a lie from the enemy. You do not have to be a perfect father to be a good father. Mothers in the room, you don't have to be a perfect mother to be a good mother. See, the lie of the enemy is you've made too many mistakes. You've said too many things you shouldn't say. Friend, I got to tell you. You know, I, I mentioned this particular study that I, uh, that I read a number of years ago, and it gave a lot of people some hope. They did this massive study from like 1950 until like 2015. And what they were doing was they were looking for all the markers of what Americans tend to view as being a happy life. And what they found was that as a parent, if you only make 30% of the right choices, your child has an 85% chance of being a well-rounded person. Like 30%, come on, 30%? (laughs) Listen, 30%, I need you to understand how big of an F that is on your final. And yet at the same time, the point of this particular, this study was, you don't even have to be actually good to succeed. And I would tell, I would tell the believing parent in the room, the beauty of this is, is that where you fail, Jesus doesn't. That wasn't even in my notes. (laughs) 
But listen, I got to tell you, you can be doing all the right things, but when you do it for the wrong motivation, you're going to get the wrong reward. Let me put it to you this way. If you're disciplining your children always from a place of anger, it's not about their behavior. It's about your lack of comfort. We don't discipline our kids because we're angry because they messed up our environment. We discipline our kids because we want them to act differently so they'll have a better life later. The problem is, is that some of us are so controlled. We're so controlled by what's going on inside that even though we might be doing the right things because we're doing it for the wrong reason, we're going to get the wrong result. If what you're doing or how you're leading is all about a result that elevates or comforts you, what you'll receive will never multiply beyond yourself. Let me put it to you this way. Even if I'm disciplining my children at all the right places, if what they're experiencing from it is actually more my anger rather than my righteousness, then what they're going to learn how to do is hide. They don't want my anger. They're going to learn to hide what they're doing so that I don't get angry at them. Does that make sense? I don't want my kids to hide their bad behavior. I want to be able to correct it. Here's the big idea. Your motivation, as much as your action, determines your reward. Your motivation, as much as your action, determines your reward. Listen to this. This is Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, listen to this. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name. And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. I mean, isn't that kind of a sobering passage of scripture? I mean, charismatics particularly need to like take note of this. Can I, I got to remind somebody in the room that God doesn't speak through me for my sake. He speaks through me for yours. I'm not judged on, I'm, I'm not judged according to my ability to preach. Like when I, when I stand before the Father, you know what he's not going to say to me? Boy, lights out, preacher. Great job. I'm not judged by the gifts that he's given me. It's possible to do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. To be fair, it's also possible to do all the wrong things for all the right reasons. You know, I'm pretty convinced that that we're living in a time in which, for the most part, people are doing what they think is the right thing, even if they're doing the wrong things to get there. Most people don't have sinister motives. The problem is, they might have the right idea, they're just going about things the wrong way. So here's what we're going to do. I'm I'm just going to take a break here for a minute from talking about motivation. I'm going to talk about the five-fold ministry. Because I think this is kind of a, this is an issue in the church that's a little bit of a hot button because there are certain, uh, there are certain traditions that believe that the fivefold ministry isn't really for us, that it was for a particular time in church history, and now we don't need it. Friend, does the church need pastors? 
Does the church need evangelists? Does the church need teachers? Okay, we're going to go back to this scripture real quick. We're going to hit verse 13, though, because I'm going to explain why we also need apostles and prophets. Until we all reach unity in the faith. (laughs) Let me read that one again. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured, again, not by my, my fullness, not by what I think maturity is, not by what I think perfection is, but by Christ's fullness. Then... We will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. Listen, is the church perfect? You can say that again. We are not perfect. We have, I would, I would venture to say we are very far from being mature enough to be considered Christ's fullness. Very far. Then I guess we probably still need apostles and prophets, don't you think? Yeah. See, this passage, and this is, this is the tough thing, is that sometimes when people try to explain away or do away with things that we would view as being supernatural, as though teaching isn't supernatural, sometimes what we do is that we try to break up Scripture so that it says what we want it to say. But the thing is, is that this passage of scripture makes no difference, makes no differentiation between teaching and prophetic ministry. It makes no difference between pastors and apostles. What I mean by that is the, the text does not break the five graces into two groups. It says he gave all of them for the same purpose. And then he put He put a defining factor of when those things will cease. And it's when we're perfect. When do you think that'll be? Probably when Jesus comes back. See, for many, the the, the misunderstanding is what the prophet and apostle are for. Like, what was their purpose? See, if their purpose was to pen Scripture then we no longer need those graces. However, here's, here's where I want to I shift this, because I, I recently had a, a very good talk with a good friend of mine who's a Reformed pastor, and, and he was asking me about prophetic ministry. He said, he said now do you, when, when people receive a prophetic word, do we put that on the same level of authority as Scripture? And I was like, no, <laughs> Lord, no, of course not. Because we, we recognize the ability for human error even within supernatural ministry. The Bible is what it says it is. The Bible was given to us by plenary verbal inspiration that every single word was inspired by the Holy Spirit and written by human authors. The thing is, though, is that the Bible... Here's where I would, I would, I would flip the script and say you do need prophetic ministry. The Bible, for example will give me the character of a person that I should be looking for to marry, but it won't tell me who I'm supposed to marry. The Bible will tell me as a business person how I should, I should act as both an employer and a boss, but it doesn't tell me what business I should actually create. Do you understand the difference? The Bible 
is general revelation of the character and nature of God. The prophetic is specific revelation to you for your life and for your future. It's so important that in 1 Timothy, Paul actually says to his spiritual son, Timothy, he says, Oh, Timothy, according to the prophetic words that are spoken about you, fight the good fight of faith. As some have rejected and their faith has become shipwrecked thereby. The purpose of the apostolic was not to write the Bible. Now, don't get me wrong. Obviously, several individuals that were also apostles wrote the New Testament. But that was not their primary mission. Their primary mission was to be messengers and fathers. You know, part of, part of what we have to ask ourselves when we think about the apostolic is what would Paul have done if he was to have survived the, let's, let's just call it, um, the, the post-Roman church? Obviously, one of, the, one of the most important things that Paul did in the early church was he actually set a foundation. He, he essentially wrote most of the theology that we still hold to today. But the thing is, is that even though that's one of the things about Paul's ministry that we look at and we value most highly, what did Paul actually do with most of his life? He went out, he preached the gospel, he planted churches, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cast out devils. That was the vast majority of Paul's actual life. That was his real calling. He wrote the Bible when he couldn't do any of the other stuff. See, what would Paul have done in the post-persecution era? I think he'd probably have been a father in the church. Saying that we have no need for apostles or prophets now is similar to saying that I no longer need my father because I'm already born. I feel like I need to say that again because every person in the room needs to hear the reality. How many of you understand you need your dad? Like those of you who unfortunately your your father's passed on, you understand exactly what I mean because there are moments that you think, man, I wish I could talk to my dad. Even though he's not necessarily authoritative in your life anymore, you're not in his house Man, I talk to my dad all the time. Like, he gives me advice about so many different things. You know, one of the hardest things about this three months that we've had Pastor Jeff on sabbatical is I can't talk to him about any church-related stuff. I talk to my dad about church-related stuff all the time. And so when somebody's life blows up and I'm the guy dealing with it, I can't just go to my dad and say, hey, I got this going on. What do you think? Like, I'm kind of experiencing this to to a very small degree of what it's like to have to do what I'm doing without my dad. You understand how insane it would be for us to say we don't need apostles? I want you to understand, if we were to go back to this, this, this passage in verse, uh, verse 11, it says, he gave them. Do you understand that the fivefold ministry, they're a gift to the church. Apostles are a gift. Prophets are a gift. Teachers are a gift. Evangelists are a gift. Pastors are a gift. You know, I've gone back to this, you know, a couple of times when I've, when I've talked about the, like, spiritual giftings, but how many of us on Christmas morning, when we see, we saw gifts under the, uh, under the tree as a kid, decided we didn't want to open up the third gift because it looked weird. Mom wrapped it kind of strange. I don't know about this. 
Not sure about that particular gift. It's got Daffy Duck on the outside of it. Maybe use some different wrapping next time and I'll be more excited about this. Remind yourself, sometimes we just need to remind ourselves sometimes that when God gives us something, he gives it, as, he gives it on purpose, knowing that if it's used correctly or embraced correctly, we're going to receive the maximum reward that he wants us to have. That said, some of the discomfort that people have felt in the church surrounding apostles and prophets is that many who have claimed the title have operated as kings instead of fathers. But listen, I, I got I to tell somebody this. Just because there are bad fathers out there doesn't mean we should do away with fatherhood. Like even people that had a bad father recognize that they can be a better father to their own children. See, even bad fatherhood carries a certain lesson. And the lesson is, a lot of what I'm experiencing right now directly came from how my father treated me. Therefore, I don't want my children to experience the same thing, and I should be different. Are there false apostles out there? Are there false prophets out there? Are there people who, are, who have, have used that title to expand their own kingdom? Absolutely. But the scripture doesn't tell us, like here's, oh, come with me. The scripture doesn't tell us to do away with a grace because it was used incorrectly. The scripture tells us, weed out the bad ones so you can experience the good ones. See, those that are given this particular grace need to be reminded that the church wasn't given to them. They were given to the church. Which is why we now come full circle back to motivation. Whatever leadership you have, position that you have inside or outside the church has to be shaped by the why over the how. I'm going to give you just two thoughts this morning on motivation. First one is this. Am I leading in his name or for his name? Am I leading in his name or for his name? I'm going to go back to this in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. It says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Many people are taking the name of Jesus and using it to build their own kingdom. You know, when I was in the trades, and any tradesman in the room knows probably exactly what I'm talking about. When I would hear a guy say something like, I'm a Christian, you can trust me. That was an immediate indicator that I could not trust that person. When, uh, when I was, specifically when I was living in McCall, most of the builders that had the worst names in town were people that you would see on Sunday morning Lifting their hands, shouting, clapping, and acting Christian. And, and I would, in, again, in my experience, what I, have, what I have seen is that that is actually generally pretty true across the board. Most of the time, if you have to remind me that you're a Christian, it actually initially gives me a warning flag that maybe you don't act Christian. You shouldn't have to tell me. If you're a business person and you're constantly telling people that you're a Christian and they can trust you, it's probably because you're not trustworthy. And so you're using the name of Jesus in order to put his reputation on the line and not yours. 
I've known so many people who genuinely love Jesus, go to church, do all the things that we look at as being spiritual, but they have completely separated their life in Christ with their life in business. Here's, here's what I need you to understand. Jesus' reputation is not for sale. Jesus' reputation is not for sale. See, if we go back to this passage of Scripture, the dangerous thing is saying in his name, not for his name. You know, there are... You go, I, I, I want to go back to this. I obviously just hit it earlier, but some of us are... We are really, really good about ignoring, ignoring our actual life, what we do, how we think, what we say. Because on Sunday morning, we can lay our hands on people and pray for them, and maybe they get well. Or I can pray over somebody and get an accurate prophetic word for them. It is so easy. It is so easy to fall into the trap of saying, well, but... Didn't I serve my whole life at church? Didn't I, didn't I selflessly give of myself in the parking lot or the coffee shop or the info center or the prayer teams? Man, Jesus, think about all the things that I did for you. What Jesus is saying to this particular group is he's saying, you didn't do it for me. You did it for you. You used what I gave you to enrich yourself. That's where he's saying, I never knew you. Because you weren't in this for me. You were in this for you. See, the strange thing is, is thinking to yourself, I can have a business that's not supposed to be about money. Like most of us get in business for one reason. Money. But I got to tell somebody in the room, you are not primarily a business person. You are an ambassador of Christ. In fact, I would venture to say that many of the people, many of the people that you work with or that, that, that come into your, your, your stores or whatever, whatever product it is that you sell, they probably know that you proclaim to be a believer and probably don't go to your church. So what is the Jesus you're showing them? If you're coming to church, worshiping, giving, believing, praying in faith, but treating your employees like trash, you're missing something really big here. There is a... We used to, we used to say that there is a cultural benefit to being Christian. And again, you'd see it, you know, like, like I, the story that I was talking about where you'd, you'd see people say, oh, no, you can trust me, I'm a Christian, because that used to mean something. In America. Now there's a cultural burden. The burden is people actually want people that say they live like Jesus to actually live like Jesus. What's more, that's what Christ wants for you and from you. That if you're going to claim his name, you should carry it well. In fact, for those that have, have ever wondered what it means to take the Lord's name in vain, it's not saying the G word. It's claiming that you are a child of God and then acting like a son of the devil. That is taking the Lord's name in vain. It's taking on the burden of what it means to be an ambassador of Christ and then acting anything like, like anything but that. 
That's what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. Jesus' reputation isn't for sale. When you say, I'm a Christian, you're giving people a reflection of Jesus. What does the mirror of your life tell people that Jesus looks like? Number two, am I leading for my benefit or for others? Am I leading for my benefit or for others? So one of my, one of my favorite places uh, to go in town right now is Newport Pie and Coffee. Um, I really, I do, I do have a little bit of a bone to pick with, with my brother Mike. Um, he started his business, which is like pie, donuts, like all the terrible things that, you know, I love so much. <laughs> and he literally, he started it a block from my house. A block from my, I mean, I can literally walk down from my home to eat a piece of pie and the walk between places does not burn the significant enough calories for me to make a negative balance. But you know, one of the things I remember, like I'd never actually seen a pie shop, like I'd never gone into a pie shop. And, and so like when, when he told me he was going to be selling pie, I didn't, I was thinking to myself, man, it's going to like... It's like little, how do you get the pieces of pie to be uniform? Like, I mean, is it going to look weird? But when I, when I walked into the shop, the, the first day it was open, they had these really cool separators. Like you just like put a separator on it, makes everything super uniform, easily distributed. But here's the thing is that most of us tend to do that with our lives. We have a really fancy separator that says, well, I'm at work and I can't be that person here. Friend, I got to tell you, you need to have a more holistic approach about what it means to have a life in Christ. There is no separation between what you do here and what you do there. See, sometimes what happens is, is that we come into church and our language changes. Come on, somebody. Your, our language changes. Our thoughts change. Our actions significantly change. It's like when we walk through the doors of this, of these church, of any church, really, like we become a different person. Friend, I got to tell you, you've got a really pretty pie thing like stuck over your life that tells you that when you walk through these doors, you have to be somebody different than you are. First of all, I got to tell you, you can come as you are. But the reality is, is that if you if you only change in the moments that you're here in this building, we need to know Jesus a little bit better than we know him right now. We got to pull the pie separator out of our life and be reminded it's a whole pie. Not just individual slices of pie that we put into a plate whenever we want to. Listen. If you're the person that you think God wants you to be here for the sake of others, this isn't helping you. We need to be the person that God wants us to be everywhere. See, that was the whole point of the message that Keanu was preaching last weekend. Live worthy of the calling. Be reminded of everything that you have been given in Christ, not earned, given. And now in light of that glorious burden, in light of that glorious purpose, walk in a manner that is worthy of that call. Reminding yourself that everything that Jesus has given you and done for you is enough for you to walk with him for the rest of your life. And the beauty of it is, is that God continues to give gifts that we have not earned and don't deserve. But the truth is, if he gave us nothing else, he has given us everything that we need.
We aren't a Christian one minute and a teacher the next. We're not a believer on Sunday and a Super One employee on Monday. We are the living embodiment of the Son of God everywhere that we go. That is literally what Christian means. It was a derogatory term that was thrown at early believers that they adopted. And they said, no, this actually, this makes sense. We're Christian. We're little Christs. We are little versions of Jesus. If the people around you are seeing Jesus in you, what does Jesus really look like to them? See, Jesus said it this way. He's talking about the Father. And he, says, he says, I am the perfect representation. I'm paraphrasing. Come with me. I am the perfect representation of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Can I tell you that that's also our burden? If you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. What does Jesus look like? You know, back in the recession of 2008, you guys remember the banking industry getting, uh, getting bailed out? I mean, the government basically determined that, that banks in America were so big and so vital that they couldn't fail. That if they failed, that the whole American system would fail. What was, I don't know if, if, if anybody remembers this, but the thing is, is that when the, when the banks got billions of dollars in bailout, what did they do? They did what banks always do. They patted themselves on the back and then they gave their CEOs millions of dollars as bonuses. While the same, at the same time, they were evicting tenant after tenant after tenant out of homes that they couldn't pay for, they were taking $30 million bonuses of taxpayers' money. Why? Because that business is all about money. It's not about people. Let me put it to you a different way. I'm, I'm going I'm to talk specifically to the business leader in the room for a moment. If your business is all about money, people will always be expendable. Always. Because you'll always choose your goal over the not goal. But if your goal is Jesus, if your goal is Jesus, then people will always be, will always be a goal. Man, I tell you, it breaks my heart when I hear stories about how terrible Christians are at tipping. I'm not, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say which organization it was, but there's a, a particularly large denomination in the United States that has a that has a yearly um, pastors gathering. And in the local economy of the of the city that it's in, people try to take most of that week off if they're in the service industries. And it's because when they go to wait on the tables of you know of these of these pastors and leaders. They, they usually, I think the, the, the statistic was that they get like 45% less tips from people who owe everything that they have to Jesus. One particular person told a story about how she was, she was waiting at a table of 10 different people. And instead of giving her a tip, they gave her one of those tracks that looks like a, look, looks like a, um, uh, like a wallet with money in it. There was, there was a hundred dollar bill that was left on the table that wasn't actually a hundred dollar bill. It was a track. They didn't actually leave her a tip. They left her a sermon. Friend, I got to tell you, your actions are the sermon that your life is speaking. They really are. 
It breaks my heart when I hear stories about Christian business leaders that are abusing their employees with low wages and no time off. It breaks my heart because I don't believe that that's how Jesus works, nor do I believe that that's how the kingdom works. But the problem is, is that what we've done is we've put a pie separator right in our life. And in this particular slice, I'm after money. No, friend, in every slice, you're after Jesus. When your mission is money, people are expendable. When your mission is people, money is expendable. When your mission is Jesus, people are the goal. Listen to this. We're going to close up here. This is Luke uh, 3, 10 to 14. This is John the Baptist, actually. And he's talking, he's talking to a group of people. And, of course, John was, was, <laughs> was very fiery. Uh, he preached essentially the same message that Jesus preached, which was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is what the crowd asks him. He says, what then shall we do? The crowds were asking him. He replied to them, the one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none. And the one who has food must do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He told them, don't collect any more than what you have been authorized. Some soldiers also questioned him, what should we do? And he said to them, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation to be satisfied with your wages. Like all of this seems like kind of a duh moment right? Like, does, uh, do we not know that we shouldn't oppress people? But see, here's the thing. I, I had this thought that almost every position that you could possibly hold or occupy is designed to benefit, but is often used to oppress. I mean, if we were to look at the government right now, I can absolutely tell you the vast majority of every government position that has ever been created has been created with people in mind, and yet it's our natural propensity to use power to elevate ourselves, which is why it seems that the IRS is repressive. It's why it seems like tax collecting is a terrible thing, because it's easy for us to use our power to push people down so that we feel taller. I'm going to say that to you one more time because I, I need you to understand beating someone else down doesn't make you taller. It actually makes you smaller. Every position you could possibly hold is designed to benefit but is often used to oppress. So I want to come back to this question. What's your motivation? This is, again... Let's, let's pull, the, let's pull the, the, the pie separator up real quick. I don't want to just talk about what's your motivation in coming to church. I don't just want to talk about what's your motivation in your business. What's your motivation with your employees? What's your motivation? I want to talk about what's your motivation with your kids. What are your dreams for them? What are you parenting for? What are you parenting from might even be a good one. See, some of us, what we need to do is... <laughs> There's a, there's a word in the Bible. It's called circumspect. Circumspect. And, and it's, it's kind of an interesting word because the, 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 the scriptures tell us to walk circumspectly. Circumspect means to walk around something and inspect it. Many of us need to look at our pie real quick and walk around it. Don't miss the part that you don't like looking at. Don't miss the part of the crust that's a little bit burned. We need to circumspectly walk around our lives and see what's worth keeping and what's worth tossing. I'm telling you, this is a season where it's going to be more important than ever 
that believers act like believers. That we are not motivated by gain. We're not motivated by power. We're not motivated by authority. We're motivated by people seeing Jesus. We're motivated by people seeing our lives and seeing not a dirty mirror where we reflect poorly who Jesus is, but rather a mirror that has been polished because we've been working on it. How does a mirror get clean? You kind of got to work on it. I mean, I tell you, I really do not relish washing windows. Anybody in here, do you just love washing windows? Like, I need that anointing in my life. But I tell you, the reality is I can look at a window and see all the little greasy spots on it from my, you know, kids and their, you know, their hands. But looking at it and being upset doesn't get that window clean. What gets the window clean is real work. Listen, sometimes... I love what what Keanu brought last week. He said, listen, do you need to... Do you need to stop sinning? Yeah. How, what, what's the, what's the, how do we do this? You look to Jesus. You focus on Jesus. You go after Jesus. When I'm saying, when I'm talking about working on something, I'm not talking about whipping yourself into a frenzy and just doing like the... I'm talking about, listen, whatever is in your life that needs to go, it doesn't just need to go, it needs to be replaced. The only, re- the, only, the only way for it to go is for you to replace it with something else. We replace all of that with Jesus. Come on, let's pray this morning. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for everything that we have been given in Christ. We thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ. We thank you for everything that we have received in Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would... God, we would be a people that are determined to walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. That we would be a people who walk circumspectly around our lives, allowing you, not just me, not, 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 not what I want, not what I foresee, but allowing you to say, that's got to go. That's got to go. That's got to leave. That's actually looking pretty good. That can stay. God, help us be those people. Help us be that people. God, this morning, I just want to ask one question. Do you know Jesus? Listen, friend, I, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to say yes to the Lord. We, we, we firmly believe in what are called kairos moments. These are, kairos is a, is a Greek word that essentially means foreordained or important. There are certain moments of your life where everything can change in a moment. And I believe that for somebody this morning, or maybe multiple somebodies this morning, today is a Kairos moment for you. That if you will say yes to the Lord in this moment, that everything's going to change from this day forward. Now, whether, whether that's for the first time you're saying yes to Jesus, maybe you're, you're not really a churchgoer, this is your first time, whatever it is, I want to give you an opportunity. But maybe, maybe you're here and you realize, I have walked away from the Lord pretty significantly. This is really the first time I've thought about Jesus in a long time, and I feel like I want to come home. If you're either one of those people today, if you're either one of those people today, I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you today. Is there anybody in the house today that today's the day for you to say yes to the Lord, or today's the day for you to come back to him? Thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you this morning for the power of salvation. We thank you this morning for the preached gospel. We thank you 
that we don't have to be ashamed of what you've done because it's in that, Lord, in what you've done that is the power of the gospel unto salvation. So God, this morning, God, we thank you, we worship you, and we honor you. We give you all the praise and glory, and it's in your good name we pray. Amen.